So I, I should tell you guys about the time when my high school chemistry teacher sent me to another science teacher's classroom to find a glass stretcher. <laughs> I was basically being disruptive in class. And he was like, can you go get the glass stretcher from Mr. Homan? <laughs> Is and that so how your teacher dealt was, with you? That's how he got me out of, like, out of class for an entire period. So I would go to Mr. Homan. Mr. Homan would say, oh, I lent the glass stretcher to Mr. Layman. What's a glass stretcher? Yeah. It doesn't exist. You can't uh, stretch okay, glass. I, so is that what we should do to you when you're like just talking too much? Be like, hey, Zach, can you go get that? Uh, can you go get my reversible coffee mug? I ooh. think I left it in the kitchen. Your reversible coffee mug? Yeah. See, but no, you'd have to ha say, I think I lent it to. Oh, but I think I lent it to um, Joe oh, McCauley. Or Joe McCauley. Or, yeah. But then Joe would have to know. Okay. Yeah, no, he know I, but I actually did lend it to Joe McCauley. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the theoretically young, earnestly hip, and verifiably lay editors of American media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined again by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. Welcome back. And Zach Davis. Hello. Just Zach Davis. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I heard Ashley last week you were just with Zach Davis. I know. It was terrible for her. Uh, but now the gang's but I all survived, back. And I'm very happy to have Olga back. How are you feeling jet lag-wise? I am very exhausted right now. Have I ever told yeah. you my theory about how I don't believe in jet lag? Yes, yes you have. Heard. And I don't have the energy or the focus to listen to it once again. All right. Well, then I won't I subject would I'd rather hear about your time in the Holy Land, not your jet lag. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the Holy Land was great. Um, the Sea of Galilee was fantastic. We visited a bunch of other places, but the Sea of Galilee was just so profound. And there was this moment where I was just looking out over the water with Eloise and Jim Martin, and oh it was gosh. so peaceful and quiet. And I was like, this is this is what like Jesus was looking at at one point in his ministry. And I was just like, I felt like an actual Christian. And it was just so amazing. Um, and I prayed for you guys, and I missed you guys, and I just wish that they would send us all next year so we could do Jesuitical from the Holy Land. Ooh. Next year in Jerusalem. Yes. <laughs> so we are on the eve of what is supposed to be a wicked snowstorm. Yes, I know. fingers crossed, underwear on, inside out. <laughs> yes, but it's not just underwear. Guys, no, I've never pajamas. heard of that. We pajamas, were both just let it slide. No, it's pajamas inside out, flush ice cubes down the toilet. Okay. <laughs> and sleep with a spoon under your pillow. All right. These are all snow day rituals. Do it. So we think we are going to be closed tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so we're recording this a day early. Mm -hmm. And it's for that reason, this is going to be an abbreviated episode. Mm -hmm. Yes. So uh, short signs of the times and no consolations and desolations. Um, but I think it's fair to say we all share the consolation of one, Olga being back and two, Aww. having a snow day. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, but... I should note, we're not drinking, oh, but not. because it's still Lent. We're still Lent. We're still Lenting. Yes, yes. still Lenting. But we Hashtag. do have a great guest. Who is it, Olga? We are super excited to be talking to Joe Lenardi, who is an ESPN racketologist and administrator at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia. And to our listeners, who I just found this out because I am very bad at college basketball, but Selection Sunday is this coming Sunday, and it's pretty much like the biggest moment leading into March Madness, correct? Yeah, well, it's where we find out all the teams. So if you're mm -hmm. wondering if your team is getting in, I'm not because Loyal Chicago has become an automatic qualifier. Having And I'm not tournament. because UVA is number one in the uh, entire <laughs> NCAA. And Fordham is in none of these things, so I will just <laughs> enjoy through you guys. Uh, but I, I mean, like, Joe is the bracketologist. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. like, I, I, I listen to so many, I was saying I listen to so many sports podcasts who would kill to be able to interview Joe, and 
I, I'm pumped about this. But we got that Jesuit connection. We yes, do. we do. <laughs> so that's going to be fun, guys. All right. But first. Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Zach. So just a couple stories this week, but I really wanted to bring to the table the anti-Catholic bigotry that Lady Bird <laughs> was forced to suffer on Sunday night at the Oscars. Oh, yeah. no. Lady Bird is a movie that we've talked about a few times on this show. It's set in a Catholic girls' school, and it was nominated for five Oscars, and it won zero of them. Wow. Uh, I don't think people took it seriously. I mean, and that was evidenced by they were playing the clips uh, from the movie, and there were these really dramatic moments that people just were laughing at, like the kind of uncomfortable laughter. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, you guys have not seen this movie. Um, Don't think it was taken seriously Mm -hmm. for a few reasons. Would you guys agree? I mean, I... It was one of the few movies I saw, so I can't make that informed of a, dis- uh, a pronouncement. But I mean, I thought it was really great. And it was, you know, as, um, you know, our producer, Eloise, interviewed the director and it w- she described it as a love letter to Catholic schools. And so I think maybe it resonated more with those of us who have an affinity for Catholicism and maybe the Academy just didn't really get that. Well, and something else that Eloise pointed out in our uh special Oscars podcast last week, which our producer Eloise was on, is she said, you know, it was different to see just a normal coming of age, like an every everyday average girl, mm-hmm. like and her story depicted over the course of a year. And like the Academy tends to love those stories about dudes like boyhood, even though right. boyhood didn't win Best picture, it didn't go away with nothing. And, you know, the Academy has had some issues with recognizing the work of women mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. I think it's fair to say. And so that's disappointed. I said on Twitter that, uh, if it walked, if it finished the Oscars without uh, winning anything, I was going to riot. One of the listeners of the show, Maggie, replied that Catholic school kids will be rioting, which means we will roll our skirts and wear colored socks. <laughs> I like it. I'll That's pull awesome. out my Catholic uniforms for this riot. In protest? <laughs> yeah, Good. in protest. All right. What's our next story, Ashley? Um, yeah. So five years into Pope Francis's papacy, uh, a new poll from Pew Research shows that for the first time, uh, political partisanship is infecting how uh, U.S. Catholics view the Pope. So support for Pope Francis among Republicans has gone down and more of them are saying that he's too liberal and naive. Naive. What naive. a wow. Yeah. Um, overall, he's still very well liked. 84 percent of uh, U.S. Catholics, you know, give him a favorable, um, which is similar to reviewing. past popes. Yeah, no, it's a little bit higher than Pope Benedict, a little bit lower than um, JP two, um, but it's interesting that I mean, I guess it's not surprising when partisanship is affecting. It seems like every aspect of our lives, mm-hmm. it's even affecting how Catholics see the Pope. Well, and I feel like at least in sort of the media's imagination of who Pope Francis is and and also in his papacy that there have been some issues that have brought to the front and center that maybe Catholic Republicans are having a hard time, like the environment. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the Democrats are uh, immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, these types of things have been very uh, important in Francis's public ministry. Um, and so maybe that's part of it as well. And I won't say much more than that because I'm trying to stick with my Lenten promise <laughs> that Liel from Unorthodox gave us, which was no political debate. So I will <laughs> walk away charitably here. But um, data points like this are useful. We've we've commissioned surveys like this at America. Uh, they help inform sort of a more qualitative discussion. Um, but it's good that the church is paying attention to the numbers. I do think it's weird to poll people on whether you think like the Pope is humble or compassionate, which apparently 91% of people do think that. It's like, okay. 
to. Good to know. I would like to give my opinion on how compassionate the Pope is today. Thank you for calling. Goodness. Uh, Olga, what's our last story this week? Um, so our last story is some more Pope Francis news. He has established a universal feast day for Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of the Church. And it was announced March 3rd by the Congregation for Divine Worship. And it's going to be celebrated the Monday after Pentecost every year. Um, so a lot of people are really encouraged by this. Pope Francis has spoken often about the significance of Mary in the church. And this kind of takes him takes his feelings one step further. Well, and it's how many Marian feast days are we up to now? This is going to be like four or five. Yeah. Way more. Than, I think uh, we're like, like nine or ones? 10. Oh, yeah. Wow. I don't okay. know. We'll have to Google that later. But um, I thought this was interesting because uh, yes, it's another Marian feast day mm-hmm. and we love Mary and that's great. But also um, part of her role as mother of the church is something that, you know, has always been a devotion. Uh, but Pope Francis noted that he wanted that this particular devotion today might encourage the growth of the maternal sense of the church and pastors religious and lay faithful. Yeah, that's great. Like, so like, yeah, it, she's often, you know, when people charge that like the church is anti-woman, you know, it's we people point to Mary and be like, no, mm-hmm. look, we celebrate this woman right. and she's an example for all women in the church. But she's also an example for the men in the church and the clergy mm-hmm. um, and, you know, encourages them to, you know, show in their ministry, the feminine face of God. Which... Right. All these people we call father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because God we, is a mother God too. God is not a male. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Amen. And Mary's not God. We know. <laughs> right. But she is an example um, of how, how we can create a more maternal church, which I think a lot of people would like. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So today, joining us via Skype is Joe Lunardi, who is a bracketologist for ESPN. Welcome to Jesuitical, Joe. I am thrilled, guys. How are you? <laughs> we're good. We're, we're good. Great. We're also very excited to have you. And, and you're not, I should say, I'm guessing you're thrilled because you're not, uh, you're an ESPN bracketologist, but you're also an administrator at St. Joe's, right? Correct. And I have been around uh, Jesuit education and Jesuit higher education uh, even longer than I've been around college basketball, I just don't advertise it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna get into that later. I'm pretty sure. So, uh, yeah. So our first question for those who might not know, what is a bracketologist, Joe? Well, normally, you know, when I answer this question, we have to eliminate the people after they hear the answer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this time of the year, it's kind of an undisclosed uh, secret process, and. No, essentially, for the lay audience, bracketology is connected to March Madness mm-hmm. uh, in the off chance that you or, or any of your followers have, uh, you know, filled out one of those little bracket pools that we all do in March for amusement only, of course. Right. Of course. Uh, <laughs> I predict what that field is going to be in advance for the network uh, for our game audiences, for coaches and fans and media around the country. And for reasons sometimes passing understanding, uh, it has developed into its own, uh, I would like to call it a very large seasonal cult following. <laughs> <laughs> and 
you are you are catching me on maybe twenty minutes of the only time I will sit still uh, for the month of March. So this is this is the busiest time of the year, right? This week. These are the yeah. high holy days. Yeah, correct. Correct. I was going to so say, yeah. Sunday. Do you see? Do you see uh, parallels between uh, people's devotion to bracketology and uh, maybe religion? Well, I will say this, Ashley. I have learned the hard way that fan is short for fanatic. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know, if I move a certain team in or out of the field, or you know, too high or too low on the bracket for their liking, uh, I will find, you know, that, that my phone blows up and my yeah. Twitter time <laughs> blows up. And, and in the case of Kentucky, a particularly rabid fan base, they may suggest, you know, that I do things that I'm fairly certain are anatomically impossible. <laughs> but but I, I view that as just the passion of the sport, and mm-hmm. that's what kind of drives the whole enterprise. So, so what goes into your decision making? Uh, is it is it more art or science? Are you, you know, feeling the momentum and the spirit of the times, or is it all facts and stats? It, it usually depends on how much sleep I've had on that. <laughs> uh, and and just for fun, uh, in recent years, we also uh, set the clocks forward on Saturday night into Selection Sunday, so a night of the year in which I really only sleep two or three hours anyway, uh, is now minus one. Oh, no. Wow. Okay. Uh, so you're so saying I'm, you're delirious when you make these picks? <laughs> well, today, this is the Tuesday of selection week. So I'm in pretty good shape today. Like, you know, I have a bed and a shower and a room and <laughs> a couple of meals. But by Saturday, Sunday, no, I won't be, I won't be uh, maybe as chipper. But... The, the, the question deserves an intelligent response because it, it's useful to inform folks, uh, particularly those who think that I actually matter. <laughs> I am not people in the NCAA that has a vote. Uh, I'm basically mirroring and mimicking their process, which is fairly well spelled out in an annual NCAA principles and procedures document uh, that goes around to the member institutions every year. My devotion to that document and its specifics is probably borderline unhealthy in that, that, um, you know, there's a lot of minutia in there that the 10 people and their staff go through in selecting and seeding the field each year. Understanding the basic math goes something like this. There are 351 Division I basketball playing institutions. The tournament accommodates 68 of them. So that means in any given year, fans in 273 places are going to think I'm the Antichrist. (laughs) (laughs) It's just math. And that's what I tell myself. Within the 68 who make it, 32 are automatically entered into the field because they win their conferences. And then there's 36 at-large spots. So that basically is how... They fill in the field uh, with "quote unquote" wild cards. So if you take three fifty one minus thirty two, that's three nineteen left. So what we're really talking about in bracketology is picking thirty six from the three hundred and nineteen in advance, and that's bracketology. 
So do you feel like you're wielding some sort of papal power when you're putting up your last or your your, your first four out, <laughs> like de- making these decrees? Well, I, I didn't used to think so, Zach. But you know now it it starts running on the crawler on the bottom of the screen, right? Yeah, before I type it, <laughs> and and a couple of years ago, you know, I'm in we've we've affectionately called it the bracket bunker. It's basically a small studio at ESPN where I hang my hat and and have a place to work. And then whenever they need me on camera, I, you know, step into a small phone booth and come out as Joey Brackets. <laughs> but, you know, I get, I get a call from my daughter who was in college at the time and says, Oh dad, you know, we have it on. I won't mention, you know, what frat parties she may have been out, but uh, <laughs> she said, they changed your name again on T and I'm like, what? And she said, yeah, you're recording too. Because on the bo- it just over and over and over it goes, according to Joe, according to Joe, according to Joe, according to Joe. <laughs> so, like, I, I do feel at that point as if there's almost, uh, like, some dictatorial <laughs> order I could make. Uh, because I don't know how much that's edited. You right. know, if I wanted to put St. Joe's in the Final Four, would anyone notice? <laughs> <laughs> that's, I mean, you might be able to, I mean, just try, see what happens. <laughs> I'd rather give us a snow day. <laughs> uh, so, Joe, how did you become a bracketologist? I assume it wasn't a course when you were in college, right? Even though, even though you now it, teach it, <laughs> it was not. It was not. I was, you know, the star seven footer on my high school team. <laughs> you and I both. Good. Oh yeah. Yes. No, I, I I left St. Joe's and spent a lot of time as a sports writer in and around Philadelphia covering mostly college basketball. And, you know, I just stayed around the game and eventually got involved in some national uh, publishing uh, enterprises around college basketball, End up ended up owning a national yearbook, added a postseason tournament edition in the mid-90s, which resulted in having to guess at the field ahead of time in order to put our book together well. Ah, that- guessing learned or 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 morphed into this fledgling thing called the internet which i guess al gore had just invented (laughs) the the marriage of my projections which weren't done for public consumption and the internet made it a thing i see and then every year since it's just you know grown a little bit more but you were in the beginning sort of doing this for if not for free but for breadcrumbs right oh no i was doing it for free in fact with the book in the early years, we were losing money. Okay. Uh, you know, because I was a liberal arts graduate and no one ever told us that making money was important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say, uh, you know, uh, graduating with liberal arts degrees and working for, for love, not for money, is something I think we and our listeners can relate to. It's common in Jesuit schools, <laughs> Definitely. <it seems. laughs> um, so, yeah, did your Jesuit, Jesuit education, you know, inform how you, you know, pursued this passion of yours in 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 more ways than i can imagine Uh, um because the reality of it if i could wave a magic wand i put all 28 in the tournament every year (laughs) (laughs) uh so so when you say more ways than you can imagine that your jesuit education influences your your work both as a jesuit higher ed professional but also what are the ways it influences your work as a, a a bracketologist or at least following your your passion well what do we say about uh, you know, well, we say a lot about Jesuit education, uh, but but we certainly say 
that, that we think it prepares us to create a greater good, or at least to strive to create a greater good, if in fact that's the modest, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, you know, w- we can all do that in our own walk or walks of life. And I certainly understand that I'm working in the toy department of life. I'm, I'm not, you know, saving lives or, or you know, uh, taking water out of the earth in third world countries. You know, mm-hmm. I'm counting to 68 fundamentally. I may do it a little better and a little more scientifically than other people. Uh, but, but what I do have is a platform that's pretty broad, at least if my Twitter is to be believed. And if that can be used to evangelize a little bit about our schools when given the opportunity. I mean, there was one year when it was a 64 team field. Eight of the 64 conveniently were our school. And uh, I made sure that the world knew that. Yeah. Uh, And that those schools stood for something more than, I mean, this is crass, paying players and making foul shots. Sure. Yeah. I feel like I, I listen to a lot of sports podcasts. I, I, I and I feel like I'm going to tell my friends and family that I got to interview Joe Lunardi and they're, and they're going to be like, what'd you ask him about? And be like, the Magis. <laughs> they're going to be like, what are you doing? You idiot. Um, so you, you, you sort of hinted at this, that Jesuit schools um, are mission based. They stand for more. Uh, what is it about Jesuit schools in, in terms of mission? Have you seen that affect uh, any players differently or any people around the sport? in a positive way uh at saint joe's a few years ago you know we've had a student recruitment uh campaign based around the idea of modules and of course you have to try and put that into a language that um is is consumable by your audience Mm -hmm. which in this case is you know 17 and 18 year olds uh, and, and we were all that age, not that long ago in some cases, they can be kind of unpredictable right. in, in what they choose is important on any given day. Well, especially if other, if th- from other schools, the, the recruitment campaign they're getting is, uh, maybe in dollar signs. <laughs> Correct. Right. Correct. <laughs> but you know, we, we, we had a star on our team in that particular year. His name's Langston Galloway. And I'm not afraid to say his name. And Lang was an intern in my office as a communications and marketing major. And, and he was clearly both a great player and an outstanding student mm-hmm. who was going to do more than basketball. Uh, so he was in one of the TV ads about, uh, you know, when coach asks you for 50 reps and you do a hundred or, you know, whatever the case may be, that's the modest. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I had a Jesuit tap me on the shoulder and say, you know, in, 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 in somewhat of a less than supportive way. And although I respected his opinion, you know, Joe, that's a great commercial, but we all know that's not the modest. And I said, well, actually, Father, respectfully, I think I learned here to disagree with that. <laughs> oh, that nice. I think, I think we all determine what the modest is for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so fast forward about five years, Langston's now in the NBA making, you know, more than all of us combined ever will. You're still employed <laughs> despite having a talk back Correct. to a Jesuit. <laughs> Correct. I mean, it was respectful. And, and Langston came in to ask for a letter of recommendation for our online MBA program. 
Uh, and I'm thinking to myself, this guy just signed a $21 million contract. <laughs> I'm guessing he doesn't need to worry about his career ladder. Mm-hmm. And I said, so what's up? And he said, well, you know, I know I'm not going to play forever. And when I'm done, I want to open uh, rec centers and gyms throughout the South where he's from for, you know, underprivileged communities. And I need to know the business models that will work for that. And I'm going to do my online MBA back as I'm playing while I'm at St. Joe's. So, like, I would say, if that's not the modest, then we're in the wrong enterprise. Yeah, you take that to the to that Jesuit and be like, oh, is this what you meant? <laughs> I'll let you do that. I, I right. chose to, you know, quit while I was behind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, so this past weekend, I went to the UVA Notre Dame game with my dad and got a crash course in all things basketball. So, for I'm I'm very invested this year, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, so we couldn't let you go away without getting some predictions about this year's tournament. Uh, most importantly, is UVA going to win it all? Yeah, I, I tried my best <laughs> to stop that question from coming towards you, but well, I will say this: I think UVA has the most beautiful on-campus arena in the country. Thank wow. you. Mm, yes, okay. I would uh, agree. <laughs> now, I'm not saying it's the necessarily the best place to watch a game, but in terms of amenities, you probably don't know, but I was given a tour once of the, of the players, you know, kind of training locker room. They have individual hot tubs <laughs> with headsets oh. filled in to them. Wow. That's- so they, that, that sounds like the Majus, Joe. Glad that's where my taxpayers and, are and, and bubble themselves. Uh, I'm guessing they don't have that at St. Joe's Fairfield. No, probably not. <laughs> so you've got you've got four Jesuit schools currently. In... Well, no, wait. But the, the, to answer the question, Thank sadly, you. I do not think UVA no. will Ooh. win. Oh, okay. Uh, but is Tony uh, Bennett great or the greatest? <laughs> All right, I'll let the Jesuits talk. Okay, thanks. Okay. (laughs) Just had to get that in. Let's talk Jesuit schools now. (laughs) There's going to come a moment when they're going to have to score more points than they typically do. Okay. But but they could certainly reach the final four. Okay, I'll take it. Well, so right now you've got four Jesuit schools in your bracket. Uh, So what is it? You've got Xavier, Creighton. Fordham. Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) I know. Xavier, Creighton, Loyola, Chicago, and Gonzaga. Gonzaga. Yeah. Right? Are any more coming, and how far are those four going to go? And Marquette right now is team number 70, so Mm. they they can Mm. make it. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking of others that could still play their way in. Uh, I guess it hasn't been that great a year for us. No. Hadn't really thought of it that way. <laughs> Wait, so, we so how, how far will our four schools get us, though? How far are these four schools going to go? What we really want is what happened last year when two of them met in an Elite Eight game. Mm-hmm. Which Gonzaga right, and Xavier. And right, right now you've got Xavier and Loyola Chicago coming out of the out of the Midwest region. So I think they yeah, can so meet they in could, the... I mean, look, we, we got to a point where we were guaranteed a team in the Final Four. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a year ago, and all of us involved in the Jesuit basketball spotlight, uh, which I'm sure you'll be referencing at length, <laughs> uh, is, you know, that was kind of a high watermark for us. And people don't realize just how many games every year, men's and women's, uh, are contested between Jesuit schools, almost 100 a year. And there's been this effort 
to kind of market our schools through the visibility of basketball and the student athlete success stories that we have. Yeah, we actually we had a we had an episode on that uh, mm-hmm. in the fall, and I'm sure we're going to have another one on it. But I think it's I mean, I love I loved going to the basketball games when I was at Loyola, so it makes total sense to me. Um, we I think we've got one final question. Yep. So Joe, um, if you could canonize anyone, living or dead, Catholic or non-Catholic, who would it be and why? Canonize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we're actually going to give you some papal powers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. I would canonize Don DeGiulia, the athletic director at St. Joe's, because he's the closest thing to a saint I've ever seen in a living human being. All right. How's that? What does he do? Give us the elevator pitch. (laughs) No, Don's been a friend and a colleague and a boss for 30 plus years. He's retiring this year. And in a profession in which uh, people bluster and posture and try to make themselves important in college athletics. He's always been about students and the institution and the campus and the Jesuit tradition. All right. All right. Amen. Well, Joe, thanks so much for joining us and taking the time out of this is the craziest week of the year. Yeah. So yeah. it really means a lot. Um, and I think our listeners are going to appreciate yeah. it. I know I did. I'm going to brag to everyone, <laughs> I know. even though all I did is to ask you about modges and stuff. <laughs> My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Sure. Good luck this week. And thanks this month. So much. You bet. Bye. All right, so that will be it for this week. Um, We'll be back next week with a full episode. uh, But before we say goodbye, we want to, one, point you in the direction of America's other Lenten podcasts. We've got The Word, which offers reflections on the Psalms, and The Examine with Father James Martin, in which he uh, guides listeners through their daily prayer of The Examine. So definitely check those out at americamagazine.org forward slash podcasts. Um, and while you're on the interwebs, you can go to our Patreon page, which is growing, right, Olga? Yes. So shout out to Emily Hunter McGuire, who has joined our page at the ambassador level. And then shout out to our super fans, Jessica Caroline Marcotte and Sarah Neville Jimenez. Yeah, it's a it's a really great and part of Patreon is there's also this like forum type thing mm-hmm. where we can communicate directly with some of our listeners. Um and Emily wrote in this week and said, Hey, all, I love this podcast and listen weekly. It's a great balance of affirming and challenging. And one of my favorite ways to supplement my faith journey and expand church beyond the pews. I'm grateful for the work you and American media have poured into this podcast and hap- and I am happy to tithe to my digital church too. Ooh, Cheers. I'm very like happy that. that you are tithing too. And that's yeah. a great way of seeing it. Yeah. Thank you, Emily. And it really does. It helps us do more cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if this has been uh, an affirming part of your own faith life like it, like it has been for us and for other listeners um, check it out consider chipping in any amount is super helpful so yeah. thank you patreon.com slash american media slash american media alright right. roll credits Jesuitical is brought to you by American Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Engineering and design by Angelo Jesus Conta. Adverbs this week provided by Rachel Quinones. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show and please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. And Really, leave us a review. We didn't get any last week, and it made us sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you have to choose between Patreon and 
Yeah. You don't have to. It's a false <laughs> do dichotomy. Both, yeah. do don't both. fall for both. it. Both and. <laughs> <laughs> and send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at AmericanMedia.org. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We will see you next week. And we got the snow day! We did? What? Really? Yeah. I thought you were making up! Yep. No! Yeah! <laughs> no, he's looking at the Fordham website. <laughs>